I hate Ferris wheels. I can't. Me I too. Hate them. I hate them so much. I don't. Ugh. I don't like that they just swing. Yes. And you have to wait for it to take you all the way down, but you're still swinging. Yeah, I hate it. JJ mm -hmm. made me ride the one at Coachella this past year. Oh. And he was like, I was like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, we have to. It's like a Coachella thing. And like, we'll bring some beers on so like you can drink in it and it'll be fine. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go drink in it. And it was terrible. And I got so drunk because I was drinking so much. <laughs> so by the time we got off of that Ferris wheel, I was terrified and I was so drunk. And, like, we went to, like, see a DJ, and I was dancing so much because I was so scared. <laughs> dancing so much because I was so scared. Yeah, because my body was, like, you have all this energy, you need to get it out. And the only way I know how to do that is through dance. Oh, wow. I wish I could see it. All those moves. <laughs> Why are you dancing so much? Because I'm so scared. What if we did, like, we got high, and then we learned about stuff, and then we taught each other about what we learned about? That sounds amazing. And because I call it high class. Because we're high class ladies. And because it's also going to be class where we're learning, but everyone's high. Yeah. And everyone's invited. Yeah, they're not going to want to be tardy for this party. <laughs> Classes in session. Do we have any other morning announcements? Um, the Instagram. Yeah, it's the High Class Pod. I'm still um, thinking about art to draw for episode four. I know, we're about to blow up that Instagram. All week I'm going to be posting stuff. Because we just released two episodes since we had so many technical difficulties. Yeah, and only one episode is up. Oh no, we did release two. Yeah. We wanted to release three, but technical difficulties. So, all week I'm going to be blowing up that Instagram account. Uh, I just want to say, morning announcement, I listened to Old Timey Hygiene and I was laughing so hard. Dude, it's so funny. You are so vulgar. And we also learned so much. We did. We learned so much. It was a good episode. My I, favorite so far. Yeah, that was a fun one to record and a fun one to learn about. Good yeah, times good. and good memories. Good times, good memories, and boy, did we learn. Yeah, we sure did. Now, on to the new topic at hand. Wait, we gotta take our drugs. Oh shit, yeah, you're right. Alright. I'm, I'm excited for yours. What are you eating? I'm eating, it's from, it's called Sublime, and it's a little catchphrase, is feel sublime. And it's Ooh. cookies and cream, white chocolate. It's 100 milligrams of THC, and I'm gonna eat it. It looks like those Hershey's Cookies and Creams bar. Oh, I love those. It's like my mm. favorite candy. Mmm. Yeah? It's pretty good. You don't really See, taste the weed. Yeah, I'm like leaning more towards chocolate than gummies these days. I feel like the chocolate tastes better. Mmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you can barely taste that. Oh, yeah. I'm jealous. Mm. I'm, I'm not eating something nearly as classy. I'm eating like the last nibble 
of my wild, like, big gummy. <laughs> oh! You're, yeah. uh, the one that was shaped like a giant honeycomb? Yeah, I'm eating the last nibble of that one, so it, like, looks so ratchet. Nice. <laughs> but it does taste good. It's wild strawberry lemonade. I tried looking for that, and I fucked it up super hard. So I got <laughs> the wrong kind of strawberry weed again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one is the single gummy, so it's, like, it's called Wild One. Mmm! But it's just one gummy. My goal is, is to... Like, it's like, okay, I don't like buying the one gummies that much because I don't like eating that much THC. But if you pre-cut it, like go take it out, freeze it, and then chop, chop, chop. Yeah, that's usually what I do. But then they're like these tiny little gummy pieces. But I just wanted to try the strawberry lemonade flavor. Yeah. Is it good though? Like, does it's it taste like, like strawberry lemonade? It does. It's all right. It's kind of bitter. Hmm. But I don't know if that's because it's more concentrated. But it's all right. I like, I don't think I'd buy it again, but I don't regret it. How much was it? Uh, the big single gummies are usually cheaper. Like, I think this was like eight bucks. Oh, wow. That's good. My chocolate bar was $4.08. That's legit. Because <laughs> it was on sale. <laughs> What a steal. It was pretty good, yeah. I took a big-ass picture, and Lillian was like, Whoa, that's enough for months! So, like, yeah. <laughs> went in, oh, I went in thinking I was just going to grab some wilds, you know? Just grab, like, three little little tubs. And then they're like, Hey, we have all these promotions going on. You want some? And I was like, Hmm, okay. <laughs> all right. That's what I did last time. I got, like, five different things. And it's, it's fun, because then you get a variety. Yeah, I was like, oh, I want to try this stuff. I don't really typically like chocolate either, so I'm just kind of like, I already don't like chocolate, so how much worse could it be? <laughs> <laughs> I love cookies and cream stuff. I'm jealous. I want to find one of those in Oregon. Yeah, it is quite good. That was actually really good. And it was smooth. Like, <laughs> it tasted exactly like the Hershey's cookies and cream. is a little thicker consistency. Mm. Yeah, mm, quite good. Delicious. But, uh, okay, I'm ready. Okay, <laughs> niner niner, I'm coming in for <laughs> the whiner. <laughs> the high class signature wet sloppy drum roll. So <laughs> our wheezes and our our drum rolls. <laughs> what we're known for here. Okay, I'm giving owner a shake. Give I'm ready. some lucky taps. Wow, what, tap, tap. What tap, is tap, the topic today? Tap, 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 tap. And I am picking a topic. Ah. I have a piece of paper in my hand. Oh. And the ah. topic, I'm unfolding it. Ooh, the oh. topic is vaudeville, carnivals, and freak shows. Vaudeville, I don't know what that is. Now, before oh. you tell me what vaudeville is, I want to explain to you what I thought it was when I first heard it alone. Ah, this is reminiscent of Chinese concubines, yes. but this time the roles are reversed. Yes, this time you are the expert. But I Actually... Heard yeah, because one of my ancestors, one of my, like, great-great-grandpas was in vaudeville. What? Yeah. That's a place? Oh, interesting. Okay, continue. 
Vaudeville is a place? No, continue. What so, do you think it is? When I heard Vaudeville, I was thinking, like, Vladimir, but I know it has nothing to do with vampires. So it made me think, where have I heard that word Vaud before? And I said, oh, David Dobrik always says, here's my Vaud. And then I was like, wait, Vaudeville, doesn't that mean videos on demand? Isn't that like where, like, movies go to die? That's what you think? Isn't that like when movies go straight to VOD? It just means like, <laughs> ah, we skipped. We skipped the movie theaters went straight to DVD. <laughs> like, it um, means a little something less now because it's streaming, but you're before then. of video on demand. Yeah, that's what I said, isn't it? <laughs> no. No? What I say? Well, you're going to find out. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to do your research. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you just tell me now? What's the module? You're gonna have to Google it like a big kid. No. Okay. So what was it? Vaudeville Cardies? Vaudeville carnivals and freak shows. Carnivals and freak shows. Like um. Like Barnum and Bailey, Ripley's. Believe it or not. Like the early, like. Early 1900s, late 1800s, like the weird entertainment that they would do. Okay, okay. Oh, I hope I don't read a lot about animal abuse, but I probably am. Oh, way to be a bummer. Oh. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> God damn it, Linda. Now we're going to be really upset. parts I hate and only talk about the parts I can handle. Just like yeah. real Americans. Yeah. Skip. Surely we can talk yeah. about carnivals without animals. That, that's like a sign of true Americanism where we can just overlook parts of history that make us feel uncomfortable, uh, right? You're so right. right. That is that's the American... Privilege. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder what we'll learn. Cue the music. <laughs> I don't want to know what we're going to learn. Just cue it up. Time to study. Wow, studying so hard. Yeah, I wonder what we'll learn. in time to the 1800s is the effort in trying to figure out what the fuck is happening in American history and politics. Let me tell you what. Explain. It's like you read about it and it's like oh this is happening. Oh yeah this is happening at the same time. Oh yeah don't forget that this is happening. Oh yeah and then this happened and you're like what's going on? What's happening? Yeah I, I, I think I kind of get what you mean because like. You're just like what is time, this? What's that? Like the time frame for all of this stuff is like right around when like the slaves were being freed yeah, and like all and, that was happening. And the, so, yeah it's yeah. weird to think about like people going to see like a carnival when like people are still enslaved it's yes weird. yeah i get it Mm-hmm. it's weird well what is this 
episode nine. Yes, this is episode nine. Mm, an odd number. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> Looks like I'm going first. <laughs> yes, you go first. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, hold up, before we start, I gotta do a PSA. As I wasn't done researching quite yet because it's taking me down several turn little loops down American history trying to figure out what the fuck I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I googled a whole bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with what I was supposed to be learning about. <laughs> but I feel like all of it is all very important for today's message. <laughs> so okay. At some point during my lecture, I am going to be giving some live research finding. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> you may begin. <laughs> All right. So the topic was lengthy. The topic was vaudeville carnivals and freak shows. Yes. Now, excuse now, me. As a freak, I'm insulted by your use of that word. I would like a more PC word, please. Well, we'll get to that. But not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Okay. Um, now, the three of those are like pretty connected because at first I was like should we have split these up into separate topics but I think the three of them are pretty connected so yeah I think we got this yeah that's they're so interconnected that I had trouble figuring out the fuck any of it was and where it fit in the time you know what I've come to understand over a course of our episodes I don't fucking understand how time works. <laughs> you sure don't, Linda. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, well, like there's that gif of John C. Riley and math popping up over him and the head just keeps turning. Like, that's me. I'm just like, what? Huh? You love <laughs> referencing that gif. It's my favorite one because it's mm. me every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so confused all the time. Time is confusing. It's like weird when you think about all these weird things in history lining up and you're like, why why did those exist at the same time? Yeah, don't even get me started on Christopher Nolan's freaking Inception and Interstellar movies. How does that shit work? I don't know. Oh, like multiple universes and stuff? <laughs> and time itself oh, bending. Have you, seen, have you seen everything, everywhere, all at once? No, I want to though. I heard it was really good. You must watch it. You won't understand a thing because it's oh. all about time. Oh, but it no. It's so funny and so heartwarming. Okay. So good. You okay. must watch. I will watch this. You've given me good recommendations of late. I appreciate yes. them. <laughs> I do nothing but watch things, so I have many recommendations. <laughs> ah, excellent. Now tell okay. me, what did you learn? So, real quick, we have vaudeville carnivals freak shows yep so vaudeville is essentially like a style of entertainment so vaudeville was like different stage acts right like variety acts now freak shows were also <laughs> a certain form of entertainment why are you giggling I thought freak shows... Okay, I, this is one thing I never got answered, so I'm glad you brought it up. Do freak shows happen in vaudeville? Or are they uh, completely separate? Well, this is what I was getting to. 
So I feel like with my very intense 30-minute research... That was feel... like... That was not 30 minutes, by the way. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we really, we really dove in. <laughs> I feel like vaudeville was more of like stage acts, whereas... Oh, this is... They all overlap. Because I feel like freak shows were more of, like, exploiting, like, how people looked. Uh-huh. Like, I know that, like, some of the freak show performers actually, like, did perform and, like, did stuff. But I feel like the freak shows leaned more so on, like, weird and, like, interesting things to look at. Whereas vaudeville was more, like, drama, comedy, like different like acts okay that's how i understood okay and then at carnivals you have both what so i thought carnivals were amusement parks well yeah like at a carnival you would have like amusement rides you would have games and then you would have like freak shows and vaudeville acts oh my god yeah they are all like very connected but I'm gonna like go with the timeline and kind of touch on all three okay yeah good so give this show some structure lord knows I'm not gonna <laughs> give you any <laughs> yeah I, I like to structure my lesson plans you know <laughs> There's nothing rid of that. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say, all my years in elementary school have prepared me for this quite well, because I used to get teased <laughs> mercilessly, and I used always say, "I'm rubber and you're glue. Everything you say <laughs> bounces off of me back to you." But you know what? Just like how you're providing structure, I am embodying my rubber life. I have no structure. Yeah, just based <laughs> off of that tangent, I don't even know where you're going, how to apply. I was giving you some backstory so you understand why I'm structuralist. Because I'm rubber, Lillian. <laughs> to come up are freak shows. Really? So this, yeah, these were popular from the 1600s to Whoa. the 1800s. And this was like, freak shows were the freaking thing to do in the Victorian era. Wow. Yeah, so vaudeville and carnivals happen a little later. First we get freak shows. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they were super, like, popular during the Victorian era, and then they started to decline and get less popular in the early 20th century. Okay. Now, these freak shows, it feels, like, like, bad to keep saying freak shows, <laughs> but, I mean, that's what they were called. But the reason why it feels bad is because, like, they totally, like, exploited people 
and it feels like like I didn't really focus on the scary stuff but it feels like there was probably like a very scary underbelly to the freak show biz mm-hmm. um but some other terms that they used were like human curiosities um oh. At one point, there was, like, a strike, and people wanted to be called prodigies instead of freaks. Aww. Yeah. So that that's a didn't little go on, so like, well. I know, right? <laughs> As I keep saying, freak show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> it's a real bummer. Um, yeah. So I'll do, like, a very quick sh- on P.T. Barnum because I feel like you might go into him more because he kind of yeah. touched on all of these too mm-hmm. um, he was big into freak shows I didn't really talk so much particularly about what he did more is like who he was mm-hmm. and what so I didn't like deep dive into like the kinds of shows he had just into like so if you want to touch on on that you can because i more touched on like the people he interacted with and like what he did overall in his life well those all sound like the same thing (laughs) (laughs) i mean finding (laughs) freaks wasn't wasn't a big part of my research (laughs) that was a big part of mine okay Okay. (laughs) so pt barnum he's an interesting dude and truthfully i can't really gauge if he's a good guy or a bad guy that's what i was thinking the whole time the whole time i was researching like is this guy a good guy or a bad guy because i'm getting real bad guy vibes from him but then I'm also getting kind of good guy vibes from him, too. Yeah, like, truthfully, like, if I wasn't so, like, tired, I would have done a deep dive on him. So I'm happy you looked him up, too, because, like, yeah, I want to know more. Because I, like, I don't know. Like, I read, like, things that implied that he's a bad guy. But then I read a lot of things where I was like, oh, he's pretty cool. Yeah, right? So, no clue. But... P.T. Barnum, interesting dude. He was the guy that started the freak show business. So don't take anything I have to say as, like, science. (laughs) But I, I read some articles, and this is the gist. So he started the freak show stuff when he was just, like, working in a shop, and someone came in and was like, yo, there's this girl out there that says that she's 161 and that she was George Washington's, Mm -hmm. like, slave. Mm -hmm. And she, like, knows all about him. And Barnum was like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So he was like, let me check this out. And then he was, like, fascinated by her. And so he decided to do, like, a show. So he advertised it and was like, hey... I got this lady, Joyce Heth. She's 161. She was George Washington's slave. Like, come see her. And it was actually a really big success, and they, like, made a lot of money. Hmm. And when he did that, that's when he was like, oh, 
I could like exploit more people and make more money. So that's when he really dived into the freak show stuff and he like bought a big museum and made a big museum called Barnum's American Museum where he like decided to have all these different acts. So, <clears throat> oh, I forgot to mention that that lady, Joyce Heff, uh-huh. the 161-year-old, uh-huh. people genuinely like were like, wow, her stories about little George Washington are fascinating. <laughs> like, they believed it. And then when she died, they did an autopsy, and she was only 80 years old, so there's no way. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what's funny? In my research that I read about her, too, it said that she's blind and almost fully paralyzed. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so he was just having these people come by and he's like look at my look at this lady she's 161 years old she's blind nearly paralyzed she raised little georgie and she's like yep yep he had them them ivory teeth yep i remember that dude it's wild but like of course like it, during the victorian era if you have nothing to do Hell yeah, you'd go see that. <laughs> you'd be like, let's go check out this old lady. You're like, damn, she old as shit. That's that's exactly that's exactly what a hundred and sixty one year old person looks like. <laughs> Did you read the part where it said he also charged people fifty cents to go and join the autopsy? What? Yeah, no. he did it in public, and he was like, "You want to see her? Come on, that's fifty cents." What? Yeah, <laughs> fifty cents, dude, to come see her. See, this is like one of those moments where I'm like, he's right? a bad dude. This fucked up, <laughs> and he bought her. So this was before when slavery was uh, abolished, right? So mm-hmm. he leased her from somebody else who owned her. Wow. Yeah, and he had to I go borrow wow. money to b- pay for her. Jeez, I didn't read that either. That's yeah, like, it's insane. See, so I read that it, bit, and I was like, mm-mm, for shame, tisk tisk. You're like, he's a bad guy. Like, yeah. You, just, you can't make heads or tails of it. I'm going to talk about him potentially being more of a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's choking you from the grave. <laughs> to him starting the Barnum's American Museum. Oh, so this was in 1841 that he started this museum, and it was essentially, like, the freak show, like, central headquarters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Like, it, it was just this massive building that he had all these different acts in, um... I, I, like, feel weird saying acts because I feel like it was mostly just, like, different people he found that were interesting looking. Uh-huh. So weird to say acts, but <clears throat> some of these acts include <laughs> Mademoiselle Fanny, which ended up just being a regular orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking orangutan in his museum. 
He's like, he is like, if Ash Ketchum was personified as a human, P.T. Barnum was freaking Ash Ketchum, only he didn't catch Pokemon. He caught things that looked weird. So if you freaking had a gimp hand, you better watch out. That guy's coming after you. Oh, he would get you. He'd get you real fast. Oh my gosh, you better run. Yeah, like, this museum, truly, like, anything that he thought looked interesting, he put in there. Wow. So there was the orangutan, there were giants, there were people <laughs> with dwarfism, there were people with, how do you say it, vitaligo? Vitiligo? Vitiligo. So there were Man, people huh? with vitiligo, and then, like, bearded ladies, all that stuff. Um, he also had Native American families and Chinese <gasps> families there. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so again, I'm like, bad dude. Like, I can't make heads or tails of it. He and then I, think, <laughs> I, I don't know if he, like, paid these people or, like, I don't know what the situation was either. Yeah, true. How much did he, um, I know how much he paid one of them. But, yeah, I wonder how, how he treated the rest of them, whether or yeah. not he was fair or not. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, he, like, did it all. He was into his freak show thing. Um, he, like, he did an aquarium. He did the first aquarium. He got into wax figures. He did the whole carnival thing. Um, the only, the last thing I'll say about him that I thought was, like, an interesting little tidbit. Did you read that he was called the Prince of Humbugs? No, I saw that, uh, I saw that on the, the page, but I skipped right over it. I was like, ah, no, I'm not it's, reading about that. It's a little weird. So they called him the Prince of Humbugs, and a humbug at the time is what they called the vendors that would make money off of these hoaxes. So, essentially, like, a swindler or a con artist, they were called humbugs. I love that. You fucking humbug. Get off my porch. So, he was called the prince of the humbugs, and that's because he, he, like, knew what this humbug term was, and he, like, he knew that he was hoaxing people, but he was like, I think it's all cool. Like, he was like, it all, like, works out if I trick them. Because they still get, like, value. They get entertainment out of it. So, like, their money's being well <laughs> did you re- Did you see the quote that he said? No. I have the quote. What is it? <laughs> His quote was, I think, I, I can't believe I actually sat down and wrote it out. <laughs> it was, I don't believe in duping the public. But I believe in first attracting, then pleasing them. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's like the OG catfish. He's like, I mean, I'm not really duping them. I'm just telling them, come look at my freaking whale. But little do they know, it's not really a whale. I didn't tell them it's for sure a whale. See, like, he's got that bad guy energy. Like, yeah, he's, he's like totally... a... Sh- Snake oil salesman. Exactly, yes. Come look at my freaking walrus. It's so freaking big and it knits. You're like, all right, I'm coming. He's like, ha gotcha. Now you're he here. Is. He's Check just like, he's just a con artist, a super successful con artist. But wow. yeah, that was kind of like, 
the end of my Barnum thing, he did move from, like, freak shows to carnivals, but he died, like, around the time that carnivals, like, started getting really big and stuff. Ah, uh, okay. So... Yeah, that's, like, all I really have about freak shows. Like, I feel like it was, like, very exploitative and... Like, yeah. I know there were, like, some performers that, like, made good money and were treated well, but I feel like a lot were probably not. Mm-hmm. So, that's that. And then, oh, yeah, in 1898, that's when that strike went on, so they called it the Revolt of the Freaks, and oh. that was when 40, more than 40 famous performers went on strike. And they, their only demand was that Barnum and Bailey not use the term freak, and they wanted the word prodigy. Oh, did he change it? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I didn't make it that far. But I did read um, that the whole, like, strike actually just made freak shows even more popular and so, like, people were going even more, and they thought it was just a publicity stunt. So I don't think anything really happened from their strike. Damn. Except, like, everyone made more money. <laughs> so that's all I have for freak shows. So that was, like, the Victorian era. Now okay. we're going to get into American traveling carnivals. And this was the early 1900s. So, like, right after um, freak shows start, like, dying off. Nice. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> so, traveling carnivals, um, this was an interesting fact. So, this was, like, the golden age of the traveling carnival. 1902 to 1936, the number of traveling carnivals in the U.S., went from 17 to 300. Holy shit. Yeah, so business was booming. Oh, is that because of... No, no, nope. ignore me. Okay, <laughs> I usually do. <laughs> so, no, 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 you can't ignore... Now I'm going to tell you what I think. What? <laughs> was it, like, did it get more, like, pervasive because the railroad tracks were... Wait, when would the railroad railroad tracks get finished? I don't know, but 1930s. I mean, we have cars sense. already. Yeah, because we've already true. fought World War One. Again, time. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not our thing. This. If you want time answers if you want to know the time if you want to know when things happen this isn't the podcast for you <laughs> i mean that might be the podcast for you because as we figure it out you too are figuring it out <laughs> well yeah <laughs> I was so scared you disappeared. I was like, Lillian, <laughs> I know. It, it went on too long and then I felt bad. <laughs> okay, All right. Tell me it. about Tell me about these circuses. So, yeah. Early 1900s, business was booming. 
Um, okay. This was when electricity first started to... Did you hear that? That motorcycle revving up? <laughs> these, these stupid bikers. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Okay. So, early 1900s, when traveling carnivals start being a thing, that's when electricity started to get more and more popular. Mm. So, this is when we had, like, mechanical rides and, like, fun, exciting things. So, let's talk about these mechanical rides. Well, first, hang on. So, these traveling carnivals... I'm very excited about the mechanical rides, but that's not all they had. They also had, like, your typical carnival games and then also the sideshows and freak shows. So those are kind of still, like, woven in to the carnival vibes. (laughs) (laughs) You see? (laughs) I see. That was smooth. (laughs) Anyways, so, um... Let's talk about the mechanical rides. This was when, like, early amusement parks start popping up, was around the time of traveling carnivals. Early roller coasters, though, they said went as fast as, and this is a quote from the article, they said that they went as fast as a fast power walk. (laughs) (laughs) So just, like, the cutest, slowest little roller coasters. You're like power walking <laughs> alongside. You're like la la la. Dude, yeah. that Essentially, sucks. someone's just pushing you in a cart. That's awful. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> That's yeah. so lame. Yeah, pretty lame. Those were the first like roller coasters. Wow. And then I learned a bit about the first Ferris wheels too. Oh, I bet the first ones created were really fucking scary. Oh, ugh. So, the first ones... Oh, well, let's go back, back. So, they Ah. were invented in the 17th century in Bulgaria, and they were named... Can I get a drum roll? (gasps) They were named Pleasure Wheels. Oh! Isn't that gross? You know, I prefer the word pleasure wheel than to the word circle jerk. So I kind of wish that we could rebrand the name circle jerk to pleasure wheel. That's a, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Now, now I'm just thinking about circle jerking and it's pleasure wheeling ourselves out of here. You and I, we agree on everything, so I guess you could say we're in a pleasure wheel. It's terrible. It's, it's a terrible it just sounds, name. It just sounds like a better euphemism than circle jerk. Pleasure wheel. <laughs> Anyways, the first Ferris wheels were named pleasure wheels. So think about that the next time you're riding the Ferris wheel. That actually makes me want to ride a Ferris wheel more. <laughs> Really? It makes me cringe more. I'm like, ooh. I'll take my leg and I'll rub it up and down. My partner's leg. And I'll go, hey, baby, you like this pleasure wheel? You know, in, did you ever watch Insecure? No. Well, in Insecure, spoiler alert, 
there's a scene where they do some naughty sex stuff uh -oh. in the Ferris wheel uh -oh. at Coachella. <gasps> That would be so awkward. That is a pleasure wheel. I guess that's true. That would be a pleasure wheel. But then you'd need everybody on the... the... spinny thing. <laughs> now I can only think of calling it as a pleasure wheel. Now you need everybody on there to be doing it. Otherwise, it's not a pleasure wheel. Well, anyways. Right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I want to move on. <laughs> Anyways, they were initially called pleasure wheels. And that was like the 17th century. And then, boom, let's shoot back to America. Now it's, the, it's 1893, and we have the first Ferris wheel in Chicago. Oh. Is that the World Fair? Yeah. Oh! Yeah, yeah. I do so know that's... something. <laughs> that was Good so job. sad. So sad yeah. and pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, <clears throat> the first one in the U.S. And I saw like a thing. I didn't really read into it, but I saw a thing saying that that Ferris wheel was supposed to be like Chicago's Lady Liberty. Like it was supposed to be this iconic city landmark. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't read about it, so who knows? Hey. It could be all lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Surely. Who yeah. <laughs> who knows? Anyways, and then I also learned, oh yeah, the first fer Ferris wheels too, they were about like 50 feet in diameter. Wow. So, how big is that? Like a five-story building? 50s, maybe? big. Anyways. The only stories so, I know of are the ones you read. Stupid. <laughs> so, moving on from Ferris wheels, I learned a little about carousels, too. And that was an interesting little deep dive, too. Because was, that was, like, one of the first rides that was popping up with these carnivals, too. Oh! So, carousels, we all know them as the, like, little ride with the horses that spin in a circle and they go up and down and it's cute. Um, the mm -hmm. first carousels had wooden horses and they were actually <gasps> used to train riding, to give riding lessons to Turkish and Arabian cavalry members. Really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? That so is interesting. started out as a military tool. Wow, those must be like the most docile horses to ever exist. Just, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> With people singing music as they like trained. Kumbaya! just like really doing a horrible job imagining it like back then the horses are probably like the bucking bron like the bucking bronco uh rides they have now where it's like uh, trying to actively throw you off and you're like ah yeah who knows i didn't get too much into it but i thought that was interesting how like yeah. they were first created as a way to like train people how to ride horses that's interesting so, Hmm. Yeah, so that was happening in Turkey, and I'm going to say something really stupid. Okay, say it. I'm so, ready. 
in my notes, it says, um, for, there's, they're giving writing lessons to the Turkish and Arabian cavalry. Uh-huh. So then I want to say the countries, and I know Turkey, mm-hmm. Arabia is not a country. You mean Iraq? Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Arab countries? I think Arabs that, live in Iraq, don't does they? That encompass a lot of countries. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. What country is Arab? It's 22 countries in the Middle East. North Africa it doesn't help us. So it does. maybe. So it's a lot of countries that were doing this, and a lot of countries specifically in the Middle East. Okay. So, so the Crusaders, when they were doing their crusades, they brought this invention back to Europe. So now the carousel's in Europe, and they're using it also as a military training tool, except they're using it for moving target practice. Oh. But you want to know something funny? What? <laughs> Their carousels were powered by horses. <laughs> what? Oh, I hope they ended up shooting their own horses. That'd be so fucked up. <laughs> no, like, it was the wooden horses for the target practice, but yeah. it would spin because real horses were, like, walking to make it spin. So yeah. they were shooting the targets, but... They were shooting fake horse targets on a but, horse-powered machine. But what if you're, like, so bad, like, so bad that you're, like, we're shooting horses, right? And you're, like, yeah. And you're, like, I'm going to shoot that one right there off in the distance. And before you, somebody can tell you to stop, you shoot them. And they're, like, that's not the... Uh- you know, <laughs> so scenario I imagined in my head. I just was making a joke about the horse machine being horse powered. No, I get the joke. I get it, but it made me wonder. <laughs> I had, I had questions. I okay. had questions outside of the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, no questions, please. Uh, um. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was gonna ask so, a question. That, that's my end with carnivals. Did I teach you anything about actual history of the American carnival? No, but we did learn interesting facts. So, there yeah, go. we learned. <laughs> Got it. Um, now, I'm gonna end this on vaudeville. Vaudeville was just like. Like variety acts. So it was like these little stage shows and it was a lot of different genres. Uh-huh. So we're talking like drama, we're talking comedy, we're talking Shakespeare, like any any stage act, boom, it's vaudeville. So vaudeville, the time for this was around 1880s to the 1930s was when vaudeville was the most popular. Uh-huh. And again, just these little variety acts, they didn't have much entertainment options back in the day. So it was like, 
You want to go see a nice variety act where we watch some drama, some comedy, or do you want to go to the freak show? Or maybe we go to the carnival. So that's just your typical day <laughs> during that time. Ah, a typical day of someone waking up, 8 a.m., brush teeth, 9 a.m., sit down and think, am I going to the freak show today, the burlesque show? Oh, yeah, that was bad, though, too. Good job. Yeah, I studied a little bit, you know. Um, so I'm going to end this with some vaudeville jokes, but before I do... <sighs> Why do you have vaudeville jokes? Because I can make my own lesson plan. I'm an adult now, okay? I'm ready. I'm ready. I can teach whatever I want now. I'm hanging ready to, for well, me to learn. Before we get to my grand finale, um, just real quick, vaudeville died off like um, after World War II. Essentially, vaudeville was like done. And that's because, I mean, you had the Great Depression, so people couldn't go out and spend money on their oh, yeah. fun variety acts. Um, and then you had all these fun new inventions like Fantagrams, so radio shows start happening, and then eventually we get TV. So vaudeville just dies out. Mm -hmm. And again, that was like after World War II. Mm -hmm. So, well, this is a little fun fact about me. I love collecting like old books like uh -huh. um, antique books especially old joke books like anything or like etiquette books I like those too uh -huh. so I was like I have found multiple joke books that are this old let me look <laughs> up like a vaudeville joke book okay and I found one so this book is called Vaudeville Jokes Number One, and it was written and copyrighted, whatever, by the Wehem Brothers. Oh, okay. And this book was copyrighted in 1907. Wow! So let's travel back in that time, Linda. Okay. It's the end of the Victorian era. And um, I'm building railroads. <laughs> well, and I'm a white woman, so I have almost every right in the book. <laughs> Things are better for me than you, that's for sure. I don't know, Lillian. Can you own land yet? No, and I can't vote either. <laughs> but I am white. That's true. And you're a woman. <laughs> Anyways, so... 1907. These are 1907 jokes. This, okay. These are the jokes that made people laugh. Okay. After they wear their petticoats and they're having their social gatherings, drinking their whatever, their cocktails full of opium. These are the jokes they were telling, okay? Okay, so I'm is, ready. I'm ready. history. Okay. <clears throat> Number one. I saw Romeo and Juliet in a restaurant last night. Juliet ordered some soft-shelled crabs, and Romeo ordered a cup of tea. Now the question arises, 
does Romeo for what Juliet? Joe got me. I thought it said like, does Romeo? Like, oh damn, that's a lot of food she ordered. That's why I was like, what did she order? What is he owing it? Yeah. So in my extensive research <laughs> of historical joke books, um, I've learned that this period of time they loved wordplay so there's Ugh. like a surprisingly large amount of like punny jokes in All these right. like old joke books hit me with another one that being said there's also a lot of extremely racist and sexist <laughs> jokes can you tell me one books. that's sexist <laughs> no i'm not gonna touch on any of the bad stuff because we're gonna let that die okay can you tell me another funny joke yes okay so the next one it has been asked um when rain falls does it ever get up again of course it does in due time Ah! <laughs> That's yeah. so cute. That's such a cute joke. Yeah, they they had some solid fun little jokes. In Again, due a, a time. lot of terrible ones, but also some fun ones. Okay, now I'm gonna imagine them in like you know like the CSI Horatio Kane, like the like he's like guess that towel and then he slips his glasses on the cookie crumbles and then the song we won't get fooled again comes out no he always tells some fucking lame ass pun or lame ass fucking tie-in snarky line and then he slips his sunglasses on and then the episode starts anyway <laughs> for christmas we need like a three hour long compilation of just my tangent stories and every single time you're like yeah anyways moving on <laughs> anyways, this, anyways. One, this one was a good one i liked this one if your stomach continues to trouble you you'll have to diet what color do you prefer oh that's cute if your stomach continues to travel to trouble you. Oh, to trouble you. You will have to diet. What oh, color do you prefer? I like that joke. Oh my gosh. I'm going to use that on every single person I know. That's too cute not to say. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, they, they got some hits. Does right. your stomach trouble you? Oh, Linda, you're going to lose it with this one. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. <clears throat> I see they're going to have umbrellas made square. What for? Because they're not safe to leave around. 
Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Doctor, said the friend, stopping him on the street. Doctor, what do you take for a heavy cold? The doctor replies, a fee, and he passed on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucked up. Yeah. What do you take for a heavy cold? A fee. And, and he that, walks away. Yeah, that, my friends, is how the American healthcare system was born. Exactly. <laughs> A fee. A fee. Yeah, oh. whoever went to that show really fucked us on that one. Great. Oh my, yeah, for real. God damn it. Alright, this one, this one I thought was funny, too. Okay. I see your sister is getting quite stout now. Yes, oh. she's working in a studio. What has that got to do with it? Why she works in the developing room? Oh, that's clever. Because she got, like, chunky. Uh-huh. Developing. <laughs> She's still getting developed. That's a clever one. They're right. so cute. This one was fun, too. I'm surprised that you're squandering so much money on a phonogram. Well, money talks, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if I didn't know what a photogram was, I'd be so confused. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I could just break it down, but... This, this is, um... This is one of the ones that borderlines on, like, sexist. All right, let's but it's go. not... It's not one of the bad, bad ones. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. All right. I wish you'd pay a little more attention to what I say. I am, my dear, as little as possible. Hey! Holy shit! I think I read that line in a book somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's like a popular style. Oh, my wife talks too much. Shut the hell up! Yeah, very, very bad, Bill. <laughs> Freaking let <laughs> Oh, this one was silly. There was an epidemic of measles at our county jail last summer, and all the prisoners broke out. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this one's cute. What's the difference between a cat and a match? A cat is lights on its feet, and a match lights on its head. <laughs> <laughs> a cat's I light on its feet and a match lights on its head. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, good. This actually ties in um, with the theme. All right, I'm I ready. saw a freak of nature yesterday. <laughs> what was it? A baby born with human hands and bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> 
a baby born with human hands and bare feet. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's vaudeville, baby. These are vaudeville jokes. 1907. I'm jazz handing as I'm telling these jokes. Oh, that, those are good jokes. Those I would have thrown in a couple pennies for those. Yeah, I got a few more. I found a lot. This was most of my research, actually. <laughs> Is that why like you were laughing so much? Yes. That's why you were... Oh. Yeah, because I got to some of the, like, bad racist and sexist ones. There's some bad ones. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I want to keep things light, you know? Hey, that's good, you know? That's good. Yeah. You're doing um, good work there. I try. <laughs> I'm I'm censoring this book for us. Um, all right, I got a few more. <clears throat> Horrible fire in the shoe factory. Were there any lives lost? Yes, a thousand souls. <laughs> right, That's clever. More. That's clever. Why did they make the hand on the Statue of Liberty eleven inches long? Well, I don't know. Well, if they made it 12 inches, then it would have been a foot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Linda, this is this is my finale, the last joke I have for you. Can I get a drum roll? <laughs> Vaudeville jazz hands are happening. My wife gave birth to triplets. Well, why don't you tell her to stop kidding? <laughs> Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> and that, Miss Linda, is my lesson on vaudeville, carnivals, and freak shows. Is that why people hate punny jokes so much? <laughs> I enjoy a punny joke. So do I. <laughs> I like them. Those were less funny than they were clever, but I appreciated how clever they were. Yeah, they that really liked their wordplay and puns. Freaking nature was good, though. <laughs> that one was good. Babies are freaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. That's I all like, I got. I'm glad you spent a lot of time diving into what actually vaudeville was because I focused on the nitty gritty history stuff. See, that's why I wanted to keep things light because I heard you as we were studying and you were going like, oh, oh no, ah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> real history is so scary. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to look at jokes. transition I do out of respect for you because I'm gonna be teaching quite a lot today yeah I'm gonna just sit back I might mute my microphone and snack for a second um, but I am gonna be listening you have my full attention Linda I'm and gonna I'm excited I'm gonna I'm give so you pop happy. quizzes <laughs> I'm gonna give you pop quizzes and I have my finger on the trigger right now I'm going to kill Wait, myself if you get a question I, wrong. I, I had a whole speech ready, and you just... 
<laughs> they said that it defined American life after the Civil War because after the Civil War, there's a huge increase in white-collar workers, so, like, more people working in the office and stuff. And then that also meant that there's more leisure time because, as you said, it came about after the Civil War, which was, like, 1865. So this is right when all the, like, pro-government, pro-social programs, pro, like, raising the society up, you know. So people were getting wealthier. People had more time on their hands. They weren't being abused as poorly by their bosses and stuff. And so... That's how Vaudeville got its start. They were like, oh. But then, right as they peaked, Hollywood was like, fuck you, bitch. Now we got films. Eat my dick. And the Vaudeville performers were like, oh, no. And then a lot of the Vaudeville performers went to go join Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened. <laughs> and then I stopped reading about Vaudeville because I was like, that's it? That's all I know about Vaudeville? I got... I researched and got lost for five minutes just so I could get confused about what vaudeville was. <laughs> Anyways, I reached, uh, after that, I looked up, okay, what else is included in vaudeville? Because I was still like, what the fuck is it? Like, there's all these other things that go with it. Like, what are carnivals? I know what a carnival is, but I was like, what does carnivals and freak shows have to do with this? And then I was reading about, uh, there's more circuses touring across the country, like you said, and that there were also dime museums. And I was like, the fuck is a dime museum? It's Ooh. a museum where you pay a diamond to go see what they got inside. And a dime museum was popular at the end of the 1800s, so end of Civil War and during Civil War time. And they were pretty much centers for entertainment and moral education. Don't know why it says moral education in there. But basically, there are huge eccentric collections of weird shit. <laughs> like, yeah. people just go and collect weird shit and be like, hey, you want to see my weird warehouse of shit? And people be like, yeah. He's like, all right, it's 10 cents. And they're like, okay. And he's like, all right, come on in to my weird hutch of weirdness. Now get the fuck out. So, hey, I mean, it was funny. a way to make money, you know? Yeah. And then... After that, I was, like, reading about what types of, like, entertainment there were during that century. It turns out that like, the upper crust of American society would go get their entertainment from amusement parks, riverboats, town halls. And they were known for having, like, cleaner presentations, you know? They were like, oh, we don't do that lowbrow humor shit. And then Ooh. there was lowbrow humor, which basically happened in saloons, music halls, and burlesque houses and stuff like that. So that's kind of where that lowbrow humor comes from. That's like dirty humor? I think so, or just like uncouth humor. Ooh. So then, I was like, why the fuck am I... So as I kept researching stuff and like what kind of shows were popular during the 1800s and 1900s, I kept seeing this word minstrel show, and it just reminded me that I don't know what the fuck a minstrel is, even though, like, <laughs> when I think of the word minstrel, I know when I picture exactly what it is, but my brain has a very hard time explaining what it is. So, like, I imagine the old Jim Crow caricature that was always drawn, and I'm like, oh. in my head, that's like what I know is like a minstrel show. 
So like that's the picture I associate with it. But if you ask me what it is, I have no clue how to define it. Like what is a minstrel show? So then I was like, what the fuck is a minstrel show? So then I ended up on this psycho ass tangent for like 15 minutes. And that's when I saw the darkest part of humanity. And that made me wonder, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what is it? So a minstrel show was super popular in the early 1900s and uh, the late, I mean 1800s, I think 1800s. And it's an American, it's a purely American form of theater. Like it's uniquely American is, and I should have known as soon as they said that why it was uniquely American, but it's basically white actors wearing blackface because the point of a minstrel show at the time it was like at its height was pretty much to just display people of other races and predominantly black people as like they were really really happy slaves and they loved working for their masters and that everything was fine and dandy so it basically just really did a poor representation of what it was like to be a black american back then and like it was just like crazy how popular they were so this minstrel these minstrel shows got replaced by vaudeville style theater but it also got really replaced too when the civil war passed because once you got a lot of people who were anti-slavery and for abolishment they would constantly critique these like minstrel shows and just kind of say like they don't offer an actual viewpoint on what it's like to be a black American living in the U.S. and da da da. So it's like also kind of nice because you could see like the sentiments of American public change. Yeah. But it kind of it kind of just said that like as minstrel shows kind of died out, they ended up getting out of the north because people of the north wouldn't go see shows like that, and then um it moved predominantly towards the Midwest and the South. And I was like, yeah. huh, makes sense now. So it's like, that's a huge part of their culture, I guess. Interesting. And it makes, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Sure but, um, I have read a little line from Frederick Douglass, who's like a really famous, um, anti-slavery, uh, abolitionist. So he pretty much, <laughs> He was quoted as saying, I thought it was so good that I wrote it down. I was like, look this up. It's a good quote. He said that um, Frederick Douglass said, described the blackface performers as, quote, the filthy scum of white society who have stolen from us a complexion denied them by nature in which to make money and pander to the corrupt taste of their white fellow citizens. And I was like, oh, that's a good smackdown. Yeah, that is a good, good smackdown. That's a good quote. But and like, and if they, the people in those shows weren't white and participating in blackface, they had actual black actors who basically do what I think most people would kind of understand now is like the classic Asian trope where it's like, they're really fucking good at math. It's like portraying a specific characteristic. That's a stereotype of a group of people and mm-hmm. then just playing it up. Like it's, it's like it's their whole persona and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's kind of what the minstrel shows became. And then it said like by the 1850s, that's when the height of civil war is just about to pop off. 
um, they depicted the slaves as they were always happy to please their masters. I said that earlier, but this was when like the propaganda machine was at its highest. So all the people that produced the minstrels started to make the shows even more about uh, race and stuff like that to promote the idea that like we don't need to get rid of slavery. Look at how happy they are. Like look at these black people in my show. Look at them. They're so happy pretending to be slaves. See, that's what it's yeah. like in real life too. Yeah, yeah, that's so, wild. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, propaganda at its finest. Oof. So then, uh, after the Civil War, which ended in 1865, because it started in 1861, promoters like P.T. Barnum actually took away a lot of the minstrel audience. <coughs> um... So it's actually thanks to P.T. Barnum that minstrels actually kind of died as a culture because he stole their audience from them, basically. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the things that I read about him that I was like, maybe he's a good guy, is like he was like very against slavery. Yes, I read yeah. about that too. That's why I was like, oh, and he has some interesting quotes that kind of show that he knows he did some really fucked up shit. Yeah. So it's like he's, I he's hard to read, man. I err on the side of thinking that like if he were aligned with a certain type of good, he'd be like chaotic good or neutral chaotic cuz it's like <laughs> he fucks shit up or no, he fixes shit but for fucked up reasons, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the road to heaven is paved... No, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but it's the opposite. The road to heaven is paved with a lot of fucking hellish bricks, I guess. <laughs> so anyways, then I got ADD as fuck after I learned about P.T. Barnum, and I was like, I still don't understand what the fuck vaudeville was. So I went back and Googled up what the fuck vaudeville was, and this, I was reading about a period of time in 1871... The guy who's known as the father of Odd Bill is a man named Benjamin Franklin Keith. Ooh. Can you tell who his mom's favorite president was? Wait, favorite founder was? <laughs> favorite George scientist? Washington. No, you idiot! Benjamin Franklin, don't you listen? <laughs> don't you ever get that question wrong again! <laughs> I even said it in the answer! <laughs> Anyways, Benjamin Franklin Keith, who I'm going to call Bifk from now on. B-F-K, Bifk. Okay. Okay, that's fun. So, Bifk, <laughs> mm -hmm. in, in 1883, he opened a museum in Boston featuring Baby Alice, the midget wonder. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, People boy. came to go see his freak of nature show, his museum. With all the money he earned from that, he built the Bijou Theater. I think you can actually still see that theater. Or maybe it burned down. Don't quote me on that. Look it up, guys. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and he, once he built his theaters, he started promoting the the notion that the middle class have to start acting a certain way because before it was like, yeah, it's okay to have like no manners and stuff like that. Um, 
So the way I see it is he kind of promoted the theater manners that we know of now because that's kind of what he pushed at his own shows. So with all the money that he earned, he started to forbid his workers and his show people to have any vulgar or coarse material in their shows because he was like, you know, now that wealth is more spread, the men are always at war. They're out working. They're never going to have time to see your shows. But who's always at home? mom and the kids i can get two people in versus the one dad so he started promoting like we're going to be really conservative with our vulgarity and our course material so sorry lillian our material not have cut it back then (laughs) just wouldn't have um and that's how he got women and children to come to his shows and that's why they're so popular and they're so good in fact so clean that even the catholic church was like Excuse me, brother, but your show is incredibly clean. How do we get part of this show? And he was like, oh, wow. you want to push push me, uh, help me make more buildings? And I promise you I'll make more clean shows for you guys to watch. And they're like, all right, deal. So they did. Wow. And all of his theaters and stuff, they he created this whole notion and this whole, like, like he completely revamped the way that theater systems kind of worked so he promoted like longer shows like you're talking about so he started promoting 12 hour acts of continuous performance right so that way people wouldn't have to feel pressured to give up a certain time or something to come see his show or what they did back then was they would wait until right before a show started to see how many people showed up and then if a lot of people showed up they get a ticket but if nobody showed up they wouldn't get a ticket. So he was like, I'm just going to completely do away with that system by making it so that you don't have to pick a showtime anymore. You just come, want to watch a show, you come in and watch because I promise you there's always something going on in my shows. So they were 12 hour shows and sometimes they'd run back to back. And, um, he basically created this illusion of having a constant thriving business because it was like people are always seen coming in they'd stay for as long as they wanted then they'd leave so his theaters were like super fancy and architecturally designed and like the way i think of it too is like if you've ever seen the greatest showman it's about pt barnum like if you imagine how extravagant his sets were back then that's Mm -hmm. That's this guy. He made his theater houses like out of marble. They had Whoa. the finest architects build it, like just the creme de la creme of buildings, right? And Ooh. he would have little attendants come by with silver trays with note cards on them. And on the note cards were decorum expectations. And it was just Whoa. like shit that say like, uh, we would like if the gentle ladies at our establishment to please remove their hats to provide proper viewing experiences for the crews behind them only at the discretion of the management please please you know like super nice shit so they had three they had uh, a couple other rules on the cards the first was men were for they begged the men said please no smoking and no cigars which was a big thing because tons of old theaters actually burned down because they got burned down by fires 
So this guy was like, yeah, this shit's not catching on fire with no drunken assholery here. You can't drink here. There's no, like, any of that. I don't sell alcohol here. You're also not allowed to smoke here. So he promoted that rule. Then he said, okay, when good shit's happening, I don't want you to pound your feet on the floor, and I don't want you to bang your cane on the grounds either. So, so he was like, the proper way to show your appreciation for a show is a simple clap or an applause. <laughs> wow. And then his last rule was to basically ask the people not to talk or make any unnecessary noise during a show so that everybody would be able to hear the actors as they put on their acts and such. But I was like, wow, that's pretty much like the etiquette we have now is the same shit that he was pushing back then. So he was yeah. credited as kind of fixing the the rules for the middle class back then because his shows were so popular that everybody came out of them just like understanding like we don't do this in a theater so we have him to thank for that interesting he really classed it up mm-hmm true and then I was like, okay, well, now I've read about this guy, I guess I might as well read about P.T. Barnum, because then I was starting to wonder, like, how come he's not showing up here as much? Is he part of the Laudville, or is he his own shit, or Vladville? And I don't know how to answer that, because he didn't show up, but I don't know. Basically, he began his career in 1835 as a 25-year-old man, so he's born in 1815. Yeah. And or eighteen ten, sorry. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> he purchased this is when he at twenty five years old he got with that guy, his friend, who was like, Hey, me and this lady go around and we convinced people that she was JW's nurse. You want in? And that's when he was like, Yeah, sure, I'll buy one. Okay. Yeah, I'll lease her. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when he did it. <laughs> He's twenty five wow. years old. And then he was like, all right, when she died, he's like, do you actually want to see how old she is? Come, we're going to show you everything. It just costs 50 cents a day. Let's go. Wow. Yeah. And then I found some other facts about that. So she was 80 when she died. She was blind and almost fully paralyzed. She was forced. He forced her to work 10 to 12 hours a day. And oh. yeah, so that's when I was like, that's fucked up. She's nearly 80 and you had her perform for 10 to 12 hours a day. Oh, she just got to lay there. Damn. Well, she was paralyzed, right? Yeah. So I guess I hope so he cared for her. She laid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe, Oof. maybe the life he, if you pick on the worst to like thrive in life like if you constantly pick on the people that are you know are fucked by society because they don't fit in mm -hmm. that just makes it easier for you to take advantage of them because they're so used to being treated like shit that all you have to do is barely wa offer them anything and they'll still see it as a leg up yeah that's a predator yeah see bad bad guy vibes yeah right like Equate that to like shit happening nowadays. We hate people like that. Yeah. That's what we call a position of abuse and authority, you know. Elder abuse. But also, kind of what happens to our marginalized communities, you know. It's true. People act mm -hmm. like we do all these good things for them when really it's like it's really not. It's like a basic civil human liberty and right. And we can't even give it to them. Like, come on. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> 
So then I was like, alright, my mind's made up. This guy's pretty much a piece of shit. Like, he's 25% cool guy from based on the shit I heard. And I was like, 75% this guy is a piece of trash. Yeah. So then that's when I was reading about his, like, hoaxes. And he was like, I don't believe in duping the public. But I do believe in attracting them, then pleasing the audience. So it's like, <laughs> that's a very roundabout way to say, yes, I lie. But I lie to entertain. Which still doesn't yeah. make it okay. You're still lying, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but... So then it was like, huh, how much of that movie, The Greatest Showman, was true? And they take a lot of liberties with that, but they did get one thing right. So he found a Swedish nightingale, quote-unquote, that was really famous, that was traveling. Her name was Jenny Lind. And she was, like, very, very famous for being a philanthropist and Mm -hmm. for having, like, really high morals and scruples. So he wanted to take advantage of how clean and elegant her image was and attach it to his own shows. So he would make a ton of money marketing off of her. Um, he also knew that she was like a fantastic singer as well. So he marketed wow. that really hard. So he offered her $1,000 a night for 150 nights. That was what her contract was. Like, I will pay you for 150 nights total. You will work and you'll get 1000 a night. So that's like a lot of money. Yeah, um, for back then. Mm-hmm. Just to put that's it in perspective, of, that would be a, a yeah, that would be a hundred and fifty nights, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That'd be like six million now, right now. So pretty much, he's offering her six million dollars to his work, less than half the year. Wow. So. This woman was a straight-up badass, like a true BAMF to the end. She used his money that was in advance. She used the money to raise funds for charities back home in Sweden, and she helped make sure that these charities predominantly fed children and schooled children as well. So she took all the money that she earned and directly dumped it back into social programs back at home to directly affect like the lives of people that she cared about so um when she got to the u.s like her first day there she saw like huge huge crowds so she was like oh shit i do have a following over here because before then she'd been in other areas Mm -hmm. but she's like oh shit i have a huge following over here as soon as she landed she found him pt barnum and she's like we need to renegotiate my contract i i'm not gonna be doing this for this little like you need to give me more so she renegotiated her contract for her and uh she was able to secure more money for her charities <laughs> wow. yeah she's crazy she's a freaking badass so That's then cool. in the her very first show with him he quadrupled the investment that he had made already and Whoa. this lady was such a like a like a moral character that when, by the 1850s, she was already, like, kind of, like, grossed out by how scummy he kind of was. So she didn't like it when he, he would do these uh, ticket auctions because instead of just selling all the tickets at a flat price, he realized she's so popular, people will pay outrageous prices to bid each other out for seats. Whoa. So he would basically price gouge super hard. Oh. And she had such a huge problem with it that she pretty much said to him, you are not going to do that to the majority. Like she's like the majority of your tickets have to be sold 
in reserve and at reduced prices if you want me to continue to work with you. She's like, we're not doing any more ticket shit. Like, you can do that with a couple, but the majority of our in-house shows have to be at reduced price. So Ooh. she got him to do that. And then in 1851, she finally was, like, really sick of him. She's just like, eh. You're like, he, like, relentlessly marketed her to the public, and she's just like, this is fucking gross. So she re renegotiated her contract so that she wouldn't have to do the full 150 nights. So she mm -hmm. ended up performing a total of 93 concerts, which earned her $350,000, which is $13.7 million right now. Dang. But get this. He netted 500k, which is 17.5 million dollars. On top of what he paid her? Yes. That's wow. what he netted. So, I mean, she got a good deal, but he definitely got the better deal. This is interesting cuz this is like what's happening now with the strike in Hollywood. Mhm. Mm interesting. Pretty crazy. But it's like, I have mad respect for her because she, she didn't follow through with what she saw was like a bad something happening. So she was like, my goal was to get as much money as I could for the charities that I wanted to get money. And then once that was there, she's like, I could no longer work with him. So I, we just parted ways. Yeah, she was like, she, she was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Like, we know she's a good person. <laughs> yeah, yep, you do. And he, well, see, now here's the part where it gets kind of murky, because here's some parts where I was like, okay, he's not full 100% fucking evil. Like, there is some parts of him that I guess are okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's see. Okay, so in 1881, oh, wait, 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 no, no, no. So, once he parted ways with her, there was like a, he made a little bit more money because people were like, ah, the Civil War is making me so depressed. I wish there was something I could do to distract me. And he's like, come to my theater. And they're like, all right. So he made shit tons of money then. But by the time the Civil War had started, so this is where I was like, all right, he's not such an asshole. Before the Civil War had started, he had already kind of thrown his lot in with the Unionists. And for those of you guys who don't know, the Union people were the people from the North. They believed in... Uh, abolition and freeing slaves and then the southerns were the ones that really didn't want to lose slavery so the those were the the confederates by the way so even before the civil war pt barnum was already like i don't agree with slavery i am a unionist i my sympathies go with the unionists i don't believe in that shit so uh <laughs> a confederate sympathizer set fire to his club or his theater in 1865 Whoa. and then after he built it again and then they set fire to it again in 1868 so then he just gave up and he was like alright I fucking retire from the fucking museum business <laughs> oh yep. that's kind of sad yeah. and then um, he little known fact P.T. Barnum didn't enter the circus until he was 60 years old in 1870. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, it's interesting. He was like, I feel like most of his career was the freak show stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. 
And then uh, I wrote down one of the titles of his shows, his circus shows, because it's so long and so ridiculous. But then by the time I kept reading, there was another longer, more ridiculous name, and I couldn't write it down. So you're only going to get the first really long name. <laughs> but it was P.T. Barnum's Traveling World's Fair, Great Roman Hippodome, and Greatest Show on Earth. <laughs> Wow. That was the title. Um, he, in 1881. That? Mm, that was a long title. Maybe if I was bored. <laughs> You'd get distracted and be like, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm going to sit at home, read. <laughs> 1881, he partnered with a guy named James Bailey and James Hutchison. And then they parted ways again four years later. But then in 1888, they were back together again. I was like, whoa, it's like they're cutting their friendship up into little pieces and then reattaching them and going, but wait, we have money to make. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so P.T. Barnum was one of the first circus owners to move his circus by train. And he was one of the first circus people to own his own train. Whoa, that's so, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And then after that, I kind of got out of his life with carnivals and stuff like that. And then yeah. I started reading about who he was, and it said that throughout his whole life, he was significantly involved in politics. Yeah. So he was running even in politics in 1865. So when he started his circus, he was also running in Connecticut for a political position in the Connecticut Connecticut General Assembly. So, wow. yeah. So, I was reading all this stuff. It said that he focused predominantly on race and anti-slavery subjects, even preceding the Civil War. So that's why I was like, even before the Civil War, he wasn't just saying all this shit because he was like, ah, it's, obviously the North is gonna win. It's like, no, he genuinely believed it. He he thought, you know that it was wrong and yeah. he there was like a couple legislative acts that were proposed like the famous kansas nebraska act of 1854 that's the one where kansas and nebraska were going to be states but there's an issue of if they become states do they how should we handle the slavery laws there and the kansas nebraska act pretty much said that if we introduce these two states then we're going to leave it up to these two states not the federal government but we're going to leave it to the Whoa. sovereign citizens of the states whether or not they want to have slavery. So that, Ooh. to him, and basically to anybody with the same mind, if you're not going to sit there and you're not going to say and outright say, we don't support slavery, we cannot have slavery there, then you are for slavery, you know? Yeah. If you're going to yeah. sit there and you're going to say all this shit like, uh, blah, 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 but... You're not going to sit there and say, but I'm not against, or but it's illegal to have slaves. Then you are for it. You are 100% for it. So that yeah, law pretty much, it's very convoluted in saying that it's, oh, it's about statehood rights. It's like, no, it was a very thinly veiled attempt to keep slavery by making it a state issue rather than a federal issue. So um, one of the things he said was he he didn't support he opposed that act and he pretty much after that he left the democratic party because what people fail to realize a lot of the time is that the american parties the democratic and republican parties have switched they've flip-flopped yeah. a couple times through history so yeah. in its origins during the civil war time the republican party was the very liberal left-leaning one and the democratic yeah. party was the very conservative one down south so if you're listening to this now, it was flip-flopped, okay? 
What you was was not what you is back then. <laughs> what if you're listening to this in the past? Now, if you're listening to this in the past, then what you was is not what is today. <laughs> <laughs> you got that? You got that. Okay. So, pretty much, he was just like, I'm going to leave the Democratic Party because y'all doing some... You're endorsing slavery by saying you don't just outright don't support it. So mm -hmm. then he joined the new anti-slavery Republican Party. So they were running on the platform of we are outlawing slavery. It is illegal to own slaves. So he was like, hey, I'm joining your party. And he was elected to the Connecticut General Assembly in 1865. This was when he broke up with his circus partners, the Bailey people. So he was just P.T. Barnum all by himself. <laughs> Not P.T. Barnum and Bailey. <laughs> um, but while he was the uh, chairman uh, or elected to that General Assembly, the motherfucker hired some spies to learn about the railroads because this motherfucker owned his own train. And his spies uncovered a plot that the train the tr railroad uh, owners were trying to increase uh, train fares by 20% and he Ooh. uncovered it because he was like wait a second no interesting <laughs> yep. um, and he also supported the ratification of the 13th amendment if for those of you guys who are like me and can't fucking keep all these amendments straight in your head that's the amendment yeah. that abolished slavery that got uh, President Lincoln all the kudos that he has now Okay, so then I was like, okay, so he's not such a bad guy. And then I was like, okay, if I think about the fucked up shit that he did, particularly to that poor 80-year-old woman who, who he, you know, profited off quite a bit, Joyce Heath. Yeah, if he exploited her. So I was reading about it, and he did say, so I'm going to quote here, and this is from Wikipedia, guys. It said that he said during the ratification of the 13th Amendment, quote, a human soul that God has created and Christ died for is not to be trifled with. It may tenant the body of a Chinaman, a Turk, an Arab or a Hotentot. It is still an immortal spirit. And he also acknowledged that he had owned slaves when he lived in the South. He said, I whipped my slave. I ought to have been whipped a thousand times for this myself. But then I was a Democrat, one of those nondescript Democrats who are northern men with southern principles. <laughs> so, Interesting. like, it seems like he kind of reflected on his past yeah. a bit and it's not to say like people can't change so can we just all agree at the end of the day that people are flawed and we make flawed choices at that sometimes and that's okay but what that's matters fair. is that once you realize you done fucked up you try not to fuck up anymore because mm. if you don't try not to fuck up anymore you're still just a piece of shit mm. okay you could be you could do pieces of shit things in life but what really constitutes you being a piece of shit is if you don't do anything to stop being a piece of shit you just keep yeah. doing piece of shit shit you know it all makes sense it's come around full circle don't be a piece of shit <laughs> you can't yeah he's an interesting dude he's so complex because yeah. like like 
he was such an activist, but then, like, business-wise, he totally exploited people. Yeah. (laughs) It really does make me wonder. Well, one of the interesting things is, like, when he went out of business, because he was broke as a joke for a really long time, um, one of the people, I think it was, um, there was a guy with him that was called, like, Tom or something like that and he was uh, I think he was either the giant or he was a dwarf Um, but the Tom guy actually reached out to him and was like hey I want to continue working with you can you continue promoting for our acts and he was like yeah I'll promote for you so I mean he might have been a piece of shit in our times but maybe for his time he was considered a pretty okay guy you know? Yeah, it's fair. And, like, truth be told, he maybe he did pay, like, really well. I don't know much about, like, how he treated his workers, but he's an interesting dude. Yeah. I mean, they made a movie about him. I kind of wish that they'd involved a little bit more of this into that movie that they made. What movie? It's called The Greatest Showman on Earth. Oh, now I, I know why they that. called it The Greatest Showman. Hugh Jackman's in it. The music's pretty sick. Yeah, it's, I'm familiar with it. I just never watched it. It's alright. But it was, uh, <laughs> but yeah. And voila, there's, there's carnivals, freak houses, and P.T. Barnum. <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> Man... This topic was pretty interesting. Yeah, we studied for a long time. Oh my gosh, this episode's gonna be freaking long. Yeah. How much is there even to edit out? (laughs) It's gonna be an interesting one to edit. Oh my god. (laughs) Well, play that bell for me, girl. Maybe let's just let's put a nice little bow on this episode and really do a finale. So this topic, um, yeah, thank you. This topic, vaudeville, carnivals, freak shows. It was an interesting time in American history, yes. and we learned a lot. And P.T. Barnum, he's a complex dude, and maybe we're all complex people who make not so complex decisions sometimes really we're pretty simple Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and on that note class dismissed (laughs) were you waiting for me I was, and I abandoned you. I waited and then abandoned. It was fine, it was fine. (laughs) Feeling part of me just waits to see if you'll do it. (laughs) I'm like, is she gonna? Uh Uh-huh, she's doing it. (laughs) 